everybody, welcome to uh, the first ever Casual Shooter Podcast MMA episode. This is, uh, I wasn't going to call it the MMA hour, but I didn't want to step on Ariel Helwani's toes, so we'll just call it MMA talk. <laughs> so You'll be bigger than him one day. <laughs> I might actually I mean, well, be bigger anyway, than him. So. <laughs> <laughs> he just has a bigger name. <laughs> so typically we would start with some information to kind of break the ice. So I, I'm going to try that now in a different format. So Lane has Bastion Black Performance, and he teaches like self-defense, combatant, that type of stuff. So Lane, here's the setup. You're hiking along, enjoying the peace and quiet with your girlfriend, and topless like normal, wearing your silkies. So you're not carrying a gun. And some douche comes out and starts accosting your girlfriend. So here's our guy. Now, I don't think a buggy choke is going to work on this guy. What, what, for the rest of us out here, what are, what are we, what are you doing to this guy? How we, how we handling this guy who's trying to run away with your girlfriend? <laughs> Man, well, uh, first off, I ain't letting him get his, uh, his hands and his claws on me because that's a, that's a good way to get, uh, to, uh, to get tetanus or something out there. So. <laughs> All right. So, so BJJ's out. <laughs> Oh, I just thought that was a hilarious video. I'm like, this is crazy. They're doing a great job of staying calm. That seems like a good first step. Yeah, for sure. That's not that bear's first interaction with tourists. In, uh, <laughs> he, he knows Can't, what's up. The, well, the funny thing is, I think my Great Dane is taller than that. <laughs> I don't know that he weighs quite that much, but he's definitely taller than that bear. Wow. Even our smaller Great Dane, who's only about 140, 145, is taller than my wife. So, all right. Whew. All right. So, we'll start this off. I've got a pretty interesting uh, couple of knockout videos here. Now, oh, brother. Is that over oh and out. Dude, that was scary. Holy moly. Oh. That looked like a legal elbow to me. Didn't come straight down on the back of the head. It came in from the side. Here it is. So this is a better shot. Watch the angle, how it comes. I don't know if you guys could see um, on your screen his eyes on that. But his eyes like locked and were and his gaze was upward and and shaken. That was, I don't even know what uh, I don't remember what um, organization that was but you guys either of you see that knockout yeah i hadn't until just now um but i've seen something similar where people have odd reactions when they get knocked out that looks like they're having a seizure or something or they're swinging yeah, that, their arms or legs around yeah that would definitely situation. cause some synapses to fire <laughs> so yeah lots of lots of funny things can happen when you uh mess with the brain on that as yeah, embarrassing sure. as it might be it's like it ain't that dude's fault. Like you can't do anything about that. Yeah. No, no, not at all. That was a that was a heck of an elbow to the side of the head. I'm wondering if he hit him right on the right on the temple. I got another one here. No, właśnie, Maciej, w sumie to jest kluczowa informacja tego pojedynku. Tu dzisiaj miało nie być. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! 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 
It's like no właśnie, Maciej, w sumie to jest kluczowa informacja. Bam. Tego pojedynku tu dzisiaj miało nie być! Yeah, it was like as soon as he hit the ground, it was uh, over. It's almost like the old school UFC stuff where you, uh, someone would be trying to get a triangle on you, you pick them up, slam them down, and they'd be on. I guess that happened to, uh, shoot, what's her name? The former. Rose? Yeah, yeah Rose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, when yeah. Um, oh, Jessica Andrade, yeah, picked her up out of the Kimura and slammed her. Yep. Yeah, that was She didn't let go. Yeah, most people let go, but she held it. Well, the best part about that whole thing was I do not like Dominic Cruz as an announcer. And he's like, well, you know, <laughs> like Joe Rogan or somebody said, oh, she's got to be careful she doesn't get picked up and slam. And Dominic Cruz is like, well, as long as she's got the Kimura grip, she can't get picked up. And it was like, dunk, dunk. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of commentary is that? Like, of course you could get picked up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that <laughs> – I I like Dom, but yeah, I agree. That's uh, that was interesting. So let's go to that one. So we're going to do like a past, present, future type of thing. We'll hit some past stuff that's occurred recently. Since you brought up Dominic Cruz, we'll go ahead and show that one. Now, are you Silent. a fan of him as a fighter, Lane? Uh, I mean, yeah i I liked Dominic Cruz kind of more like. You know, in his heyday, I mean, it almost sounds kind of mean to say that because it's not the guy's not like super old or anything, but uh, <laughs> you know, because he was, I like guys that you know kind of find different, like newer ways to win. So he kind of he brought you know that like hyper mobility kind of like point scoring methodology to his fights. You know, like he didn't he didn't take much damage. You know, he you know he kind of just like you know stick and move stuff, and and it worked mm -hmm. a lot until. Like the Garbrandt fight, you kind of saw where like the limitations, because he, he landed a whole bunch of low kicks, which I'm a big fan of low kicks, but he never caused any damage with the low kicks because they were so light. So it's like for all this expenditure of energy to try to, you know, to really like wear down the mobility of an opponent, he didn't do it and let Garbrandt, you know, at that time who was kind of on top of his game, just stand, you know, very solidly in the middle and just throw bombs at him and then... uh you kind of saw that, I think, with the Cheeto Vera fight, too, is it's like, I think yeah. he was winning the fight based on the 10-9 must system up to this right. point, but he wasn't causing any damage. And the problem is it's like you're always playing with fire with that kind of style, I think, you know. And Yeah, absolutely. I like Cheeto yeah. Vera. I like how he's uh, changed something in his training and come back, and he's a different fighter, an amazing fighter. Not that he wasn't before, but... Um, it reminds me of uh, who's the current champ who just beat Rose Namajunas. Oh, in the oh. most boring fight of all time. Uh, yeah, Carla Sparza. Yeah, Sparza. She she did did something similar too. Changed something in her training and came yeah. along and was beating a lot of people that I didn't expect her to win any of those fights. Yeah, I think for her it was just kind of an expansion. You know, she was definitely like a. A wrestling base person but for the longest time you could tell that there wasn't really anything else there you know and, exactly. and rose didn't do herself any favors in that fight but carla has added a competent enough striking game that someone like rose couldn't just stand in front of her and you know throw punches and avoid takedowns and yeah 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 carla seemed to be a little uh i'm not carla i'm sorry rose seemed to be too cautious because of the takedown and Carla just seemed to run her game, which is exactly what I think happened with the Cheeto Vera 
Dominic Cruz fight. I felt like Dom was very, he, he wasn't his normal hyperactive self. There was a lot of times he was just kind of more flat footed. I don't know if that's yeah, age or until, what. Yeah. Up until the point where he lost, I thought he was looking good. He was better than I expected. Yeah, that's. And, I, I thought he looked physically good, but I think what my my takeaway from it is is like, if you fight a point style fighting, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're kind of always, you know, at the risk of like you don't cause enough damage to have that cumulative effect by the end of the fight, you know. And I think that's kind of what happened is it's like like Vera eventually kind of you know figured him out. He's like, hey, you know, when I throw this, he likes to slip outside of that. Uh, you know, that straight left. And it's like, okay, if he slips outside of it and they just put the kick on me into one, but it's like Dominic Cruz was, you know, definitely outlanded him up till that point. But it's like, the problem is mm-hmm. it's like, didn't cause any damage, you know, didn't, didn't mess his face up, didn't go to the body. He was just touching him here and there and getting points. But it's like, you know, especially at that particular weight class, it's like, I mean, you're not going to, the dude's not going to be tired from that kind of fight, you know? So it yeah. kind of didn't really have anything to show for the first, you know, couple rounds, unfortunately for him, but. Yeah, Absolutely. and even the even the big shots he hit him with didn't seem to do anything at all. To Vera. Vera is enormous for that weight class, or at least he looks like it. Like he's, he looks gargantuan out there. Like <laughs> <laughs> he is a he is a little bit on the bigger size, but I mean, what he's got twelve victories now, ten finishes, ten knockdowns, six knockouts. That's that guy's. Uh, he's going to be a handful, and I I feel like he's change something in his he's taken that next step to where he's going to be much more competitive at the higher in that top five bracket i think so yeah absolutely <clears throat> like he's pro- he'll probably fight for the title next right or maybe one more fight and fight for the title you would yeah you, I, he's got to be right there yeah i don't know who else you kind of feel put on the spot now you know but it's like yeah i don't know who else would be like directly in front of him on that but yeah yeah i'm not i'm not sure either um let me even check out the weight class real quick here and see what we've got rankings i think what's always interested me too in cheeto vera to be honest i really didn't know much about him until he fought um oh i'm blanking on the name rainbow colored hair sean o'malley yeah yes there you go sean o'malley so it was interesting to see his big step up um in competition after beating sean o'malley versus sean o'malley uh has fought some good guys right i think pedro munoz was the last guy he fought um but not as big a jump as um as cheeto took in competition after winning that fight yeah i think you're right and the uh the O'Malley fight was an interesting one because that was kind of one of like two. Because I can think of one of the Henry Cejudo fights as well, where a guy got that like bad, like uh, superficial peroneal nerve paralysis mm-hmm. from like taking leg kicks. And like, yes. and I was surprised. I thought O'Malley was going to be like injured after that. I thought, I thought he was going to have, you know, like torn something in his knee because of like how he kept stepping back on that foot and it was just buckling and just twisting under him. And, and that, yeah. that's how I blew my knee out, not from that specifically, but that kind of twisting position on the ground, you know, and so I thought for sure he was going to have something like shot out of that, but it was very ugly. It was ugly to watch. 
especially because of like how involuntary it is, you know, because he kept trying to get up and it was just like, just would buckle under him. And he kept trying to step back on it and just fall. And you're like, ugh. And so it was like a anyone who's taking a good leg kick, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Vera hasn't lost. The last fight he lost was against Jose Aldo in December of 2020. He's on a four fight and win streak. Since then, he's beaten Grant, Frankie Edgar, Font, Rob Font, and now Dominic Cruz. He is ranked fifth. Um, and it, it doesn't show on the UFC website that he moved in rankings, like he stayed where he's at. So I don't know that that's going to change anything there. But the only people ahead of him are Corey Sandhagen, Mirab Divish. Devalishvili, TJ Dillashaw at two, Peter Yan at one. So, okay. And I don't know when Dillashaw is fighting anytime soon. Haven't they been trying? Like, yeah, there's something. He's got something coming up, doesn't he? Yeah, he has I, something. I lined thought up. he. There it is. Yes, he does. He's fighting Aljamain Sterling. I thought I had seen something, but. Okay. There you go. October 22nd is him and Al Jermaine. So that'll that'll ruffle the uh, rankings then. That's an interesting matchup. How, how do you think that'll turn out? Mm. That's a good question. Uh, I, I like Dillashaw's wrestling more than I like Al Jermaine's. And I like uh Dillashaw's striking better. So I guess I would have to give the edge to Dillashaw, but I'm I'm neutral as to who wins. I don't I just want to see an exciting fight. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Elaine? Um I kind of agree. Now granted it kind of a little bit depends on what level of USADA Dillashaw comes back. <laughs> uh, right, right. But, uh, you know, but you're, you're right. I mean, he, he has good uh, good counter wrestling and very active, you know, lateral movement with the feet. And, like, the thing, you know, like, Jan is incredibly good. And the thing I was surprised at with Al Jermaine is that he was able to was able to get him down a couple of times. But you could kind of see that, like, once he had banked or assumed that he banked the first three rounds, I, I thought he kind of fought like he was a little bit in panic mode the last two rounds of that fight, like his takedowns did not like his takedown attempts did not seem very well set up. And, um, I also kind of thought that, that Jan, because he wants to like stay in the pocket and strike so much, like kind of stayed in the kitchen, giving him, cause that one, he kind of hit that like sort of weird, just kind of out, like coming out of the like failed takedown. And he kind of hit the duck and went to the back, um, and whatever that was second round or whatever of their last fight. And, uh, I thought it was cause like Jan just sort of like stayed, like inexplicably, like, you know, in the pocket instead of getting out. I don't, I don't think that Dillashaw, um, I don't think Dillashaw would do that, but I, I think the Aljamain is substantially longer than Dillashaw too. So I kind of wonder if, uh, if Aljamain is going to try to play a little bit of a, you know, poking at the legs and kicking at him from distance kind of thing to start. Probably, yeah. Probably try to slow him down. Cause he, I mean, he, depending on which fight you look at, sometimes he uses that Dominic Cruz hyper, active bouncing around to give you different angles. But I also feel that even if Al Jermaine can get him down, like he controlled Peter on the ground 
and dominated on the ground. I don't think he's going to be able to hold TJ down like he did Jan. Yeah, I guess I didn't expect that to happen with Jan either, so I don't know what to expect with Dillashaw. Um, but it'll be exciting to see them fight because they're both active. Hopefully it's not just somebody hugging the other guy's waist for <laughs> half of every round. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's hope not. But yeah, that should be a good fight. I don't even know how did we even get that. <laughs> I don't even know how we got to that one. We've gone uh, right. we've gone out a couple branches off of the, the main tree. With, uh, we sure <laughs> have. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. You know, Jose Aldo actually dropped three spots in the rankings down to number six after his last loss. They still have Dominic in the top ten. It's kind of a very top heavy weight class. Like there's a few guys who are like really, really good. And then I feel like that one just opens way up after that. I mean, like Jan, Aljamain, um, you know, Dillashaw, like, and probably Cheeto Vera are like top of the heap level guys. And then I feel like then you have a whole bunch that are all kind of roughly comparable. I mean, you get down to like the, the Sam Hagens, the Sugar Shans, the, uh, you know, the Aldos and, uh, you know, Dominic's and all that stuff on there. It's kind of like, yeah, that's, I, I could see a lot of those fights, you know, kind of just playing out as a round robin and ending up with like no clear winner. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, we were actually, I was talking to Dave after the um, Usman fight, how I think that division, kind of the same thing that, all those people at the top are very good, but I can see any of them beating the other one. I just, uh, like, it doesn't seem likely, it didn't seem likely to me that Usman was going to lose, but I also could see could see him losing. No, I think that's, I think you're exactly right. Because I think that, I think Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman are dead even. I think if you have them fight 50 times, you're probably going to end up like 25-25. Either that or you're going to have every single fight where Usman comes out on top, but it's like by 1%. Like, I, I don't think anyone yeah. that's like has legitimately watched those two fights and isn't super biased thinks that one of those guys is of substantially higher quality. Um, you know, because I mean, Colby's definitely had him hurt, like stung a couple of times. They were kind of the inexplicable, like Kamaru. He likes to, uh, he likes to like take the sort of fake groin shot rests that he's kind of like famous for. <laughs> um, but he does like, you know, he causes a lot of damage like kind of early on the feet. But then you can see like once Colby gets comfortable, like he's just, you know, that southpaw, like he seems to like it seems to me like Kamaru is a little bit uh, susceptible to the body. But Colby seems to be the only one that throws to the liver much because he's a southpaw. But it seems like even a lot of those shots that he like, you know, that he, that he, he blocks down on hard, like you can see like kind of the the sort of wins, the sort of. You know, like he like he kind of got shocked from that stuff, and then yeah, Edwards fight, which is frankly I was surprised at that one because that was like kind of Usman doing whatever he wanted, but he was sort of almost coasting too easily. Like like he had this one so definitively in the bag that he's like, listen, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get out of here nice and simple and go home, but got caught being stupid and <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because I actually have a video that well, I'll just go ahead and play it. 
Tell you guys right now, this is a healthy reminder. If Leon did his homework, you guys are in for a treat Saturday night. If he starts throwing some shots and he starts dipping his head away, here they are planning that kick. Yeah, kick. What I would say, you see when he moves there? Like, yeah, yeah. If, if Leon gets that before the fight, don't deliver the kick in front. No, no, round the angle. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Here they are practicing. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. Yeah, that's it. Jab away, hook kick. Bam, bam. That's it on that angle. Yeah, that's it. Good. One more, ready? Nice. Lovely. That's the one. Good. And that's when I reckon we'll circle out a bit as well. No, come on. I always like it when you see yeah, something go the like this. It's not the cloth from which he is cut. Go. That is a This time Rockhold's game and and it worked like a charm. Yeah, I found that interesting that they actually they you know, and I feel like the same thing with Dominic Cruz. Like, and this is Joel and I were talking about this earlier too, how it seems like there are certain tendencies with fighters to dip like that. Dominic Cruz dipped to the right, got kicked in the face. Usman dipped to the right, got kicked in the face. So I'm wondering if more and more, kind of like that front snap kick where people started getting knocked out from those, I wonder if the same thing's going to happen now with trying to set people up to dip to their right so you get kicked in the face. I think it definitely could. But I, I think sometimes, I don't mean this to sound like like condescending, it is like, like that's a very like basic combo. You know, like throw the lead hand and throw the rear the rear foot. Um you know, but it's also like I think you don't you don't see like a really highly developed uh, striking game with a lot of guys who are otherwise like very good mixed martial artists because there's so much stuff going on. But I also think, you know, with that one, it's like I think one of the reasons why Colby, you know, comes to mind when I think of him versus Kamaru is like Colby's a fantastic wrestler. So for him, the risk of getting that kick caught is less catastrophic. So he's gonna you know for throwing it a lot. But a lot of guys, you know, if you're a southpaw throwing that that back leg into an orthodox guy, if you're not landing hard or if you're not, you know, if you're not able to throw comfortably to the head, like that's a really easy one to get caught. And if you're going against a guy like Kamara, who's a fantastic wrestler, like that's, that's probably a bigger risk than is going to be worth the payoff a lot of times. And um, so I think that's one reason why you kind of don't tend to see some of that stuff, but I think you're absolutely right. Which is like, I mean, that's like basic, like, you know, kickboxing in one one like, you know, you get a guy circling away from your lead hand, you kick him with the, you know, kick him with the rear leg as he comes out, whether low, medium, high on that or whatever, and, you know, try to disincentivize him from just, you know, leaning out and circling out on you. Right. Yeah, he did permanently. Yeah. And, and you see, like, Kamaru <laughs> thought, you know, he kind of, he blocked, but he blocked like it was, you know, kind of body shot and just ate perfect <laughs> right across the ear shin. And, yep. <laughs> yeah. That was crazy. No One minute maybe. to go in the fight. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> the only follow-up was jumping out of the ring. So there's one more that we haven't really talked about yet. Um, so let me go ahead and play that one. There's no sound with this, but you've got Nunez and Pena. I don't know if you guys saw that, but watching that fight, that was five rounds of pure domination by Nunez. And she didn't look to me 
like she had any desire to finish that fight. Like I felt she was in there to show Pena she can go five rounds and she was going to beat her up. She was hitting her standing up <laughs> on the ground. She was just, and she had no answer for that. Um, where's that? That one right there, that right over the top of her hand. Bam, right there again. That hand just beat her up all night. Did you guys yeah, see that? Yeah, that's fight? one of those where, like, I I don't like try to say it like in a like being a dick kind of way because like fighting's fighting and it's like you can be like you get punched in the face and things happen to you. There's no getting around that. But it's like Pena, you know, she kind of did what Nunez didn't expect the first fight, which is she kind of just like she she kind of just chains punches and sort of runs right at her. But she hit her a whole bunch of times the first round that first fight and kind of had her hurt. And you could see how much that kind of you know took her conditioning down, took her out of her game. But Pena got absolutely destroyed by Valentina Shevchenko, who's my favorite female fighter of all time. And, like, I mean, yeah. levels apart, like striking, grappling. Like, they're not – they don't exist in the same world. So it's kind of one of those where, like – and Nunez fought Valentina. I mean, she got the nod on both of them. But I, I thought they fought two absolutely dead-even fights, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in their fights. And so it's one of those where it's, it's kind of barring her doing something stupid again. <clears throat> I'm not super surprised at the outcome, um, you know, because Pena, like any even like all the highlights, you know, granted those are the highlights of the fight, but even all of those, she's doing exactly that. She's doing passing footwork, running, chaining punches, and all of those are just Nunez like stepping out and hitting her with the check lead hand, whatever it is at the time, and like dunk. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I found it interesting that they changed their strategy. So instead of her being, uh, you know, she became a lefty, and get in that stance so that every time Pena would start that, she would just come right over top of Pena's left hand and whap right in the side of the – it showed the power difference too because every time she got knocked down, it wasn't a bunch of punches. It was one punch knocking her down. It was a very dominating I, – I enjoyed the fight. Yeah. I, I like Pena, but wow, was that – I think Nunes definitely showed that you know, she is that top tier fighter in that division. And and she was still humble in defeat. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, in defeat and winning. You know, I don't remember the second GSP fight where uh, he got his title back from. Um, oh, oh I know who you're talking about. His name. Yeah, I know um, you're talking about. Uh, but that's BJJ kind of Matt Sarah. Yeah, Matt yeah, Sarah. Matt Sarah. Yeah. But that's kind of what this reminds me of. Like you said, she surprised her that first time with that style that she used, but she doesn't have the style to beat her every time. And I think now that like that's out of the bag, I don't see her winning against against her ever in the future. No, I think you're right. Well, and you know what's what's interesting too is like Nunez was really busted up after that fight. So I mean, she took a lot of damage as well. I mean, I think it's very clear that she was like, you know, controlling the fight, but it's not like she dominated and got out of there scot-free. Like she, I think she puts herself in a position to take a lot of punishment, which is not smart, you know, whereas like Valentina does not. Uh, and then that like Sarah fight and that's like in the first, like Sarah and GSP fight was exactly a perfect example. It's like, I don't care who you are. You get hit one of those, like, you know, you get hit on the chin, you get hit behind the ear or something and you get wobbled. And it's like, Dude, yep. fighting's fighting. Like, bad things happen sometimes, you know? 
Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, the second fight was completely different story. You know, GSP kept a lot of straight strikes, took Matt Sarah down, who a lot of people didn't think that he would because Sarah at the time, that was kind of at the time when like a BJJ black belt was still like a, you couldn't, you couldn't run into one of those, like if you wanted to, you know, so like, oh my God, he took him down, sat in his guard, controlled him, did lots of stuff and was like, hey, I can, I can do this if, if we have to, you know, like. <laughs> and then beat him to death with a bunch of knees. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and the body knee, like my, my buddy Donahoe and I, we were, you know, we always like watch fights. We train together at the same club and stuff. And like, we always bring up how we think that the body knee from turtle is like the most underutilized thing ever. Because yeah. it's just like, one, it's freaking terrible, but it's also like, you know, dudes are just sitting there like trying, you're basically taking advantage of all the rule sets that don't allow you to get hit very much from there. And uh, guys will waste all their energy trying to punch the guy in the side of the head with his arm sitting there instead of just, you know, working that bread basket. And... Yeah. You got that floating rib down there just as hard as you can start dropping knees in that area. It'll move that arm. Yep. Yep. And for Absolutely. us that have never been in a fight, I, I imagine that's pretty painful getting kneed in the side like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, obviously, like, you know, it's just getting kneed anywhere is – it's like there's no place where you're like, hey, you know, it's it's if I get kneed here, like that one's – like it, it all hurts. It's all terrible. Um, you know, but then, you know, like, like Dave kind of alluded to, I mean, that's sort of like striking 101, which is like if they're guarding up high, hit them low. If they're guarding down low, hit them yeah. high. And so – this is one thing I kind of don't like about the IBJJF, you know, jujitsu stuff is they don't penalize turtle as a position. So then you see it in MMA too, like, you know, guys will go there, they'll sit, you know, cover everything up. And so you can punch the guard and still cause some damage, but you know, you're very limited on what you're allowed to do from a legality standpoint. But if the guy's going to sit there and leave his body open, you know, it's like one, like you said, you need the body and, and all of a sudden he brings the hand back. Okay. You know, whack to the side of the head, but it's also like, dude, you get five, six, you know, 10 knees in the body when a guy's down there, like that does nothing but bad things to the gas tank, to the posture, to everything else about the rest of the fight, you know, even if he manages to get back up to his feet or whatever, or, you know, maybe that incentivizes the guy to roll over to his, to his guard and try to get away from that now. And so, you know, now you, you know, kind of continue on doing whatever from there and stuff too. Yeah. Actually, what you were talking about, it reminded me of an Anderson Silver Silva fight. I think there's a fight where, Somebody <laughs> up against him, and he knees him in the side a couple times, and the guy rolls over, and then Anderson finishes him from there. He was excellent. Like he, uh, his body knees from top were fantastic. I mean, he did that to um, to to all sorts of people. I think he he did that to uh, to Chael Sonnen. Um, you know, kind of like up against the cage, like straight knees, like through the chest. You know, which is. Mm -hmm. You know, which I think a lot of guys don't do it because of the risk of like if you need a guy in the head, you know, and, and you know, getting a penalty or whatever. But like he was, I mean, savage knees from everywhere, and like you know, super underutilized thing. And uh, no, he was fantastic with um, with those from all over. Yeah, I don't want to get off the MMA topic, but I think I saw somewhere that Silva is going to be fighting uh, Jake. Yeah. Uh, mm hmm. What do you think? Jake Paul? Yeah. Yeah, Jake Paul. What do you think happens Hold on in that a fight? second. Ooh. Give me one second here, and there you go. When's it coming up? Is it in October? Yeah, it's October 29th. Okay. So that'll be interesting. I Because I, I did see that 
before they made the actual name announcement that it was Anderson Silva, I guess Jake Paul had put something out that, oh, there's going to be, I'm fighting somebody, we'll release the name later. And there was some posts or some information that came out that he was looking for a weight limit of either 185 or 190. So this puts it right in that exact weight scale. So it should be fairly interesting. Yeah, I mean, Silva will certainly be the best boxer that uh, that Jake Paul's fought thus far. So, yeah, for um, sure. The only thing I dislike about this is like I'm kind of one of those guys. Like, man, if you can get somebody that wants to fight you for money, like you know, cool, whatever. But I, I, there's right. the part of me that hates you know someone like this that's kind of basically like you know trying to pick on like like Silva's like what he's like 44 or 45 or something like now been around like I mean he's got 20 years of like hard professional fighting so it's like one like I don't want to see him like get hurt but it's also like this is far from peak you know Anderson Silva right Anderson Silva like 10 years ago like he wouldn't he wouldn't want a, nothing to do with him you know but yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah even five years ago you know even right after he broke his leg against Weidman you still wouldn't want to go into that guy with just a pure striking fight no and, well, and the other thing that I dislike about it too is it's like if you want to call it boxing, call it boxing. That's fine, but I hate that they call it fights because I, I don't I don't think it is. It's like you're picking on like, trying to pick out all these MMA guys and be like, hey, we're only going to do this incredibly limited scope of things and still call it a fight. And it's like it's like, dude, if you want to fight, get in there with Anderson Silva and uh, and kickbox and see uh, see how well <laughs> that goes. You know, like yeah, that go over yeah. like a fart in a spacesuit. <laughs> I imagine, and maybe it's just hopeful thinking, but. I imagine that's kind of how this will be. I think Anderson Silva, he sets things up. So it's not like you're just boxing some other boxer and you're going to go in and use your athleticism or maybe basic skills. I don't know enough about fighting to tell you whether Jake Paul is actually good at boxing or not. But uh, we're about to find out. Not, yeah, not anywhere <laughs> near the level of Anderson Silva. So I, I'm hoping. But he does have youth on his side. Yeah. Yeah. That, and he appears to, you know, have power, you know, as much as I've, you know, derided or talked smack before, he does appear to have like pretty decent power. Um, you know, and he's, he's training like at a good, you know, team with that. So I think that definitely, uh, you know, plays into it, you know, but it's like one of the problems of like, you know, picking the opponents that he's picked is that, you know, and, and for him, like business wise, it's been incredibly smart is mm -hmm. he hasn't picked anyone that, will keep pressure on him and drag him out into rounds, you know, four or five, six or whatever, um, you know, with a decent amount of work. Like Tyron Woodley is a, like, he's very much like a bottle rocket fighter. Like he's very dangerous. Like he's got lots of power in his hands, but he, he's a very much a moment picker. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do much activity because he is explosive. And, um, you know, so we haven't, you know, we've basically been able to see like two guys both be exhausted and kind of stay away from each other and just throw, throw sniper shots from, you know, across the parking lot and occasionally, occasionally hook up on it, but yeah. Yeah. And Tyron also is one of those where because he's explosive and powerful, he'll just sit there and, and not do anything and pick his moment because he also doesn't want to expose himself. So it can like his last few championship fights are weren't the most exciting. Definitely. All right. So I think his last uh, non-championship fights though were exciting because you knew they they were he's probably going to get knocked out or 
he had a lot for of knocking somebody he was, he was going for stuff yeah yeah i always well, feel I think like with that too is it's, it's kind of you know that old adage is like when you're still kind of coming up is there's not as much film on you you know but once you get to be the champion it's like everybody is training to beat you and they have a bunch of film on you so it's like okay now guys are starting to develop better ways to deal with you and then um and yeah i also think it it helps like he got matched up with wonder boy thompson and nobody looks good fighting wonder boy thompson like i don't care who you are so it's like like oh my god those fights are boring it's like have you seen wonder boy fight like you have to be awfully careful all the time when you fight somebody like wonder boy so like <laughs> I, yeah i actually thought those were his better fights activity wise and and maybe it was wonder boy who brought it out of them because those were good fights to watch but i felt like everybody else was was not as exciting as those. And I, I do like me some Wonder Boy. He's good. Mm -hmm. All right. So this weekend, we've got some big fights coming up. This being one of them, Cyril Gaon and Tai Tuivasa. What do you guys think about this one? I'll let Lane go first on this. Oh, um, like I think, I think this is a Cyril Gaon fight but you're talking about heavyweights so like right any any and everything like you you can never count a heavyweight and, and Tuivasa has shown that he has legit power um gone is extremely well-rounded um it makes me wonder if he learned anything from the Nganu fight because I thought I thought he had the fight won until the last two minutes or whatever it was when he was in his guard and he sat back to try to set up um like his inside ashy to go for that heel hook and then let Nganu get on top of him. I thought I thought if it would just stay on top right there, I think he wins the fight on decision, like no question whatsoever. So it makes me wonder if it's like, has he gotten a little bit smarter? Um, you know, and you saw how he fought Nganu, like lots of that kind of, you know, like blitz attacks here, like, you know, a few heavy leg kicks there, you know, kind of like dance around him. And Tuivasa is not the the grappling or the wrestling threat you know, Ngannou's not much of a wrestler, but he's so powerful and he, he will try to take you down or, or will try to get you into front headlock and stuff. I don't think Tuivasa will. So it's hard for me to say that, you know, to bet against Cyril Gaon from that standpoint. But then again, no, it would not surprise me at all if he got clipped and like with heavyweights, I mean, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's all it takes, yeah. you know. Well, you get and I was, and it's like, yeah. I was watching a, a Tuivasa highlight film. Uh, I think it was UFC on Instagram. They had like five or six, seven knockouts, whatever it was, including uh, the Black Beast. But um, man, in those little sections of video, Tuivasa throws a nasty standing elbow. He had a dude against the fence and threw an elbow better than most people throw a punch hit that dude with two of them and the fight was over. It was nasty. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So he, and he actually that? got him. Um, I don't remember who it was now. I, maybe I saved it. Who knows? Let me check real quick. So I was going to say, um, it was that video you sent of Leon Edwards throwing the elbows that made me think he might beat Usman. And then it, he didn't beat him with elbows, but he just, he right. looked so powerful. And it just reminded me that, if he lands with something, he could probably knock anybody out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying yeah, to. And the, the Tui Vasa Greg Hardy fight, the, I think that was the last one that Tui Vasa had. 
And he got hurt, like got clipped in it. But, yeah. um, you know, so he can be hurt. But, I mean, he's also like he he took it, bounced back, found a way to connect with one. And that was that was all she wrote there. Yeah. I've right. always been a big Tui Vasa fan ever since the first time I saw him. And I think it's just his style. Obviously, everybody likes uh, somebody good. He's kind of a fat, like normal looking out. guy. He always, <laughs> he always drinks the beer out of the shoe at the end, you know, but uh, dude throws some leather, man. Like there's no, there's oh it's like you God. look at Cyril gone and you're like, dude, this is like, this is like, you know, Zeus on Olympus freaking statue over here. And then you look at the guy you're fighting and you're like, dude, what? Like, <laughs> The only thing is, man, those those Pacific Islander style dudes, man, they have got a chin on them. So you've got to be careful. Absolutely. And that's what makes, you know, and that's why everybody's always the most excited about heavyweight fights is because it's like you can do everything right. And I think it was, um, oh, who was it? Uh, I can't think of it. Or it's Teddy, Teddy Atlas. He always, he said that about, uh, Deontay Wilder, he called his right hand the eraser. He's like, doesn't matter what mistakes he made up until that point, he catches you with the eraser and erases all that. And it's like that's that's a lot of the heavyweights. It's like you know you, you know Derek Lewis is kind of famous for that too. You know it's just like you know getting getting pieced yeah. up. You know losing a whole fight, bam, connects with the eraser. Doesn't matter what happened before that. That's you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think another exciting thing I like about heavyweights is sometimes they go all out in the first round or first two rounds. And then they have like nothing left in the tank. So they just stand in front of each other and, and blast each other with whatever they have left. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those, I like, you know, kind of having the discussion with people, especially people who like don't train or, or things before is because they, they don't understand the catastrophic nature of not only like strikes, but positions with heavyweights. Like you get 225 pounders and they hit the ground, like, they pop right back up. There's not a lot going on there, but you get mm -hmm. two 250 pound guys, two 300 pounders. There's a reason why they don't take a lot of straight on doubles. There's a reason why they don't, you know, do a lot of like, you know, head outside singles and stuff like that, because there is a complete world difference of, you know, in and up underneath a 300 pound dude takedown wise or grappling wise than there is, you know, like a smaller dude. And so it changes everything because there's just a high level of catastrophic danger um, you know, which it makes you have to play more cautious if you want to be smarter about it. But then, yeah, it can definitely be, you know, boring to, uh, boring to people as well. It reminds me, I like to, uh, wrestle people at the firehouse if I can convince anybody to do it. And I had a lot of <laughs> luck with, with bigger people, but there's this guy, Sean Kent, and he's a, he's a larger size guy. And I, when he got on we'll top, call him plus size, <laughs> he also does <laughs> jujitsu so he knows how to use his or how to stay on top and i just could not get out from him and it was it was suffocating and terrible all right so it'll, uh, it'll change your life outlook that way for sure <laughs> i found the um let me see where i'm at here make sure i'm sharing the right screen there we go i have three screens to pick from so i've got to make sure i'm sharing the right one all right here we go let me kind of resize it a little bit so it'll fit. And I'm even going to crop it down. Well, this is pretty cool that I can do this while we're doing this. So these are, this is the UFC. Um, all right, how do I? Instagram page. 
All right, so I'm going to put it right over top. And here we go. So this is the Greg Hardy. So we'll, we'll let it roll from the beginning again. And I think this is what you were talking about, Lane. It looks like he got clipped first, and then uh, Hardy tried coming after him, and he just got waylaid by Tuivasa. Here's about to start again here in just a second. Here it is. It looks like he's going to boom, see his head rocking. He's like, whoop, whoop, bam. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like he hurt him initially, but then – Tuivasa is like, I don't think so. Not today. All right, let's go to the next one. Ah, those are nasty leg kicks, too. Ooh, knee to the solar plexus. So right hand and a knee to the solar plexus. This, now watch this. He, watch it. He's setting it up right here. Bam! Good Lord. Wobbled him. And cut him bad. Bam! And he just pushes him, and it's over, and the ref steps in. <laughs> Yikes. Probably saved him from death. I think we all know this guy. Mm -hmm. Those uppercuts. He hit, the dude's like eight foot nine. <laughs> he still hits him with uppercuts. Oof. Punches again. But good Lord, he just gets you against the fence and mauls you. You see that guy wins from that leg kick. Mm-hmm. Oof. Outside and an inside leg kick and two punches and it's done. Yeah, it should be an exciting fight. Yeah. Oof. Damn. Folded that guy backwards. And here it is. Here's the Black Beast. I, I love this guy, too. He's one of my favorite fighters. Mm -hmm. Even hit him with the knee to the forehead. Didn't do anything to him. There's that elbow. Hit him with an elbow. And another elbow. He loves those elbows against the fence. Oof. And, oh, I thought that was when he went, but no. And another, and the elbow did it. Loves those elbows. That's why I wonder, um, it makes me wonder <laughs> if I should put money on Tuivasa because it's going to be, he's so compact and so solid, it's going to be hard to really rock him good. And if he gets you against the fence, I feel like he's going to beat you up with those elbows. What's the line on the fight? That's a good question. I mean, if they have Tui Vasa as an underdog, I would definitely put some money on Tui Vasa if I were a person that bet. They have uh, it. It should be right there. Oh wait, it's in the other folder. It is. Come on now, it's being covered. Tuvasa has okay. a lot of wins in a row, but I I forgot he he also had a couple losses in a row. It looks like 2018. 2018. It looks like Gone is a big favorite. That's what I assumed. Um, so I mean, 
yeah, you got ten bucks, put ten bucks on uh, Tui Vasa because it's always possible. But right, Tui Vasa, he's he gets hit a lot, and he's hit a bull. And I don't think anyone's ever really been like, and and not to like sell him short, but like Derek Lewis is, you know, definitely his best win. And uh, and I mean, it's not that Lewis isn't good, but I, I don't think that we would say that Lewis is like elite. Lewis is like he's just Lewis is an anomaly. Like, he, like he, he is who he is, you know, he's like, he's, he's good enough to beat like some of the best dudes. Like you don't know why, but everybody who's like legitimately very good handles him pretty easily. You know, Daniel Cormier just, you know, just mopped oh, up yeah. the floor with him, you know? Um, yeah. So it's like, I have to imagine that gone is going to just stick him straight punches a lot if he's smart and, uh, and you see him, he gets tired on that. So I would, that was what I'd have to imagine would happen, but then again, who knows? Yeah, it looks like uh, Tui Vasa's plus four ten, uh, gone is m- minus five twenty. Yeah, I would put uh, I would put ten bucks on Tui Vasa then, just because that's a good payoff rate. And uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that would be a good payout. All right, so the next one I want to talk about on this card coming up this Saturday. Is that one Whitaker versus, versus Vittori? That also looks like a another good one. Bobby Knuckles. There's going to be a lot of strikes in this one, and it looks like Whitaker is a minus two ten favorite. Vittori is a plus one eighty underdog. So odds aren't super huge. I kind of see Whitaker the same way. You see, um, Colby Covington in in the one seventy. Like I think he defeat he beats everybody else in the division, and just and has good fights maybe with the champ, but doesn't doesn't win. Um, it's hard for me to imagine. Vittori is obviously great, but I think Whitaker comes out on top, and pretty one sidedly. You know, I think you're right, and that's I think there's a pretty good argument to be made that you know Whitaker won the last fight with, you know, Adesanya or fought it to a draw. Um, like it was a very, there's nothing in this fight where you're like, okay, this guy definitely won yeah. the fight. Um, you know, and, and Whitaker, I mean, the only person that has made Whitaker look human has been Adesanya. Like even Yoel Romero, who's like mm-hmm. my, my favorite, like absolute shouldn't exist freak of nature, like human <laughs> being. Um, I mean, like he basically killed Whitaker in I can't remember which fight of theirs it was. Like, like the couple times he knocked him down were like the grossest knockdowns that like a dude still came back from somehow. And then yeah. Whitaker like hurt him like sometimes after that. But like the one of them they like knocked him out with the left hand, like lifted him off his feet and threw him to the ground. Like, <laughs> okay, so this guy's dead, you know. And uh yeah, it's it's hard to imagine a place where Vittori beats him. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would have to pick Whitaker, but it's if I was trying to like in my head, I'm like, I'm like, where does Vittori beat him? And I just, I can't, I can't think of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think you guys it, think it, it goes to a decision. Set. Yeah. What's that? You think it goes to a decision then? Mm, I guess I don't. I don't like to pick the way that things well, end, but uh, <laughs> well, and I mean, if you just, I don't like playing the. Uh, MMA math game 
But if you look at Vittori's fights with Adesanya, I mean, he he made it to the end against Adesanya. If anybody's going to knock you out in that division, it'll be him. So I look at it as this might be a a, a pretty brutal three-round fight right here. Yeah, and you, you could be right. I think one thing, like one of my biggest criticisms of like Adesanya now is it's like he's figured out how to win by like the bare minimum amount of effort. And he's good enough at doing that that I think it makes guys look like less effective than they typically are. Because, I mean, obviously Adesanya is very good on his feet, but it's like you watch his fight with uh, – what was the last one he had? With uh, Cannoneer um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, uh, Vittoria before that. It's like – it's like he's winning, but he's not like he's not doing much. So it's kind of one of those where it's like guys are, you know, they're making it to the end of the fifth round, but like he like Vittori's not taking huge risks, but he's also like at no point are you like, hey, this guy had his opportunities. He could have, you know, he could have he could have got the fight here or whatever. It's like like you don't you don't see that, you know, in the Vittori fight. Um you know, with him. Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite of what you mentioned earlier with Pena. Like Pena was beat up after her fight, even though she dominated it because she put herself in positions where she could get hit, but it also made an exciting fight. And Adesanya doesn't put himself in positions where he can get hit or unless you go back to before he was champion. I don't think there's a lot of places where you see him standing in the pocket or. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed with like, uh, with guys like Adesanya, when they, they fight like that is like, I have a lot of problems with like MMA judging in general, but, but I think a lot of people think that because you're like, you know, clowning on a guy or whatever, that you're like winning rounds when it's like, just because a guy's, you know, wary of your striking ability, but if you're also not striking him, you're not supposed to get any credit as far as the judging is concerned. But I think some of that stuff, like the wow factor, I think messes with, you know, judges on that stuff um you know because they're like oh you know like every time he came in you're like adesanya like through these like really awesome four punch combos i mean none of which landed it's like okay well then they, they get zero points for that like the the scoring system does not allow for strikes that didn't hit the guy you know so it's like and, and, and know, it's kind of like, like raising your hand at the end of the round like you won and that's that's zero points it has no bearing on what actually happened the last round so yeah who cares yeah now, this is my probably most anticipated fight on the undercard, Joaquin Buckley. This dude is exciting to watch. I'm trying to remember what the uh, – was it the spinning back kick where he knocked that dude out? Yeah, yep. Oh, no, I know what it was. The guy had his leg going to take him down, and he, and he kicked him. Well, it was off a caught kick, so he got his kick caught. And then he yes. did. Um, they did a spinning back kick, um, landed heel With to the, the face one. off of oh, that. Yeah, yeah it's very spectacular. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very spectacular. And I want to say his last. Do you know the uh, guy he's fighting? Imavov. I do up. not. Nazardine Imavov. No, I mean he's ranked twelfth. Um, his last fight was a win. So there's a huge disparity in height. But the reach, uh, there's a five-inch difference in height for the Russian, but Buckley actually has a one-inch reach advantage. So he's got a 76-inch reach. Let me go back to rankings for just a second, and I'll 
go to the middleweights and see where we're at here. Then I can click on him and see what, what he's done. All right, so he's got five wins by knockout, four wins by submission, seven first-round finishes. This is the Russian. Should be... Well, I think Buckley's a guy that they're trying to, uh, they're kind of trying to groom to, to move up yeah. there. But it's like one thing that like you kind of have to keep in mind is it's like what while his um, his knockout what the hell was the name of the guy they knocked out with the spinning back kick, but uh, anyways, like they weren't like really highly ranked guys. So it was a really cool knockout, but this wasn't like a like a number three knocking out a number four or something like that. You know, so right? Like, try to try to calm ourselves before we get too far ahead. So I think that you know they're kind of. <laughs> You know, because he's, he's a flashy, like, exciting guy, so I think they're trying to groom him, um, you know, into into a marketable position with that. And I'm, I'm about was scheduled to fight Gastelum back in April, but it fell out for some reason. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard much about Gastelum lately. He hasn't been real active. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm a Vav has been – he looks like a five-fight win streak at least, so should be a – or four fight at least, but yeah, it should be a. I think it'll be an exciting fight. I always feel um, that the guys coming up, going back to like Tyron Woodley, you know, to get that title fight, they're super hungry, they're looking to make a statement, um, and while being groomed, I think this guy is also looking to make a statement. You put him in with another striker or what appears to be a striker, should be a, a pretty exciting fight. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> For sure. You never know, though. Like, uh, I remember Romero fought somebody, and you looked at the two people, and you think, man, this is going to be a barn burner. And then they just walked around in circles. For well, it was probably the Adesanya <laughs> fight. Yeah. Okay. Like him, yeah. And, him, and, him and Romero is like the worst fight of all time. It's the problem <laughs> when like, both guys are smart enough to have the maximum amount of respect for the other guy. And right. you know, both yeah. guys are kind of trying to like point it out, you know, and it's just like like basically nothing, nothing happened. <laughs> it's exactly. like the, it's like the worst title fight of all time. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this one up on the screen. Let you guys talk for a second, and I'll be right back. But we're gonna switch to UFC 280 now. Coming up September 10th. That big one, Nate Diaz and Kamzat Chimiev. All right, I'll be right. All right, I'm gonna let you guys have the floor. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Uh, Is there a way to like your number zoom one in on his? I haven't figured it out. I didn't want to ask him in. Because it's like it's well. just the little one in the corner, and I can, I can only make out Nate Diaz because it's such a blatant Nate Diaz face. But uh, yeah, we'll like... we'll have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm curious, who's uh, who's your who are your favorite fighters in the UFC? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I've always liked the uh, the very wrestling heavy guys, so I like the uh, I like the Dagestani's coming in and stuff, especially because um, you know, I think their their kind of mindset and game is kind of I guess like more similar to my approach than you know some of the other stuff. That and just being a big been a big wrestling fan so you know like Khabib and, and Islam and those guys have uh, been big I, I like Daniel Cormier a lot when he was still fighting Stipe I like Stipe a lot um could never really get myself to like John Jones that much just because as a person he's just he's just a horrible human being but damn yeah. it is he good like just yeah. so good like just a once in a generation 
athlete, you know. GSP, yeah. I was always really, really big GSP um, fan. Valentina Shevchenko is my wife. She just doesn't know it yet. She's my favorite <laughs> female fighter. But uh, <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. She's talented in like every aspect of being human. It doesn't seem like believable. Like, what does she speak? Four or five languages? Yeah, she's like a Ukrainian born Kyrgyzstani who speaks like Ukrainian and Russian and Kyrgyzstani and English. But she trains mostly in Thailand. So I assume she speaks a decent amount of Thai, you yeah. know, and yeah. I think she even speaks Spanish too. She's trying to reach out to that that audience, that <laughs> fan base. Uh, we, we were talking when you walked away. Is there a way for us to make uh, your screen look bigger on ours so it's easier to see? Because yeah, because where you have the uh, the fight list pulled up, it's you know it looks like it's two inches by three inches on my screen. Like I just so I can't really I don't have the option because like I hit the picture in picture thing it, like the, what looks like it should expand it but it doesn't nothing happens when you do it yeah same for me yeah when I do that I see us three full screen but I don't see the uh same mm -hmm. yeah it, did, it didn't make that one any bigger while you're working on that I'll say Kamzat versus Nate Diaz that's an exciting fight um it's a surprising fight to me that Nate Diaz would take something like that. Maybe because it's his last fight, he wants to take out some top contender. But uh, I'm curious what you think his chances are. Man, I think he's going to literally get murdered. <laughs> 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 he's fighting a guy who is enormous for 170, who yes. has very legit power, very legit wrestling. And uh, yeah. I just, I can't see a way that Nate Diaz comes away with this. You know, I mean, he, he had, he got just absolutely like torn apart by Masvidal in their fight. And, uh, that's right. And Masvidal is like a normal size, like 170 guy. But yeah. You know what it makes me think of? Do you remember back in the day when he fought Rory McDonald and Rory McDonald like did the same thing, manhandled him and beat him up for three rounds? I, I don't think. I don't think you get three or five rounds out of this one, but I agree. No, I, I, I think I don't. Yeah, I I think it ends fast, you know. And I, I like the DS brothers. I like them both. Like mm -hmm. they're they're kind of like fighters, fighters, you know. Um, yeah. But like you know, I rewatched the uh, the Hamzat and um, Gilbert Burns fight yesterday or the day before when I was just like eating my afternoon snack. And uh, I mean, one very good fight. I think Hamzat clearly won. You know two rounds to, to one to, to win it. But one thing I, I couldn't help but notice is like Hamza was hurting him continually, like with his, just his straight jab off of his lead, right. Um, and it was like stinging him bad. And I mean, and obviously it's like, it's a punch. So anything can hurt, but it's like, I mean, usually you don't see a guy get like stunned and stopped up so much by like that short kind of little, you know, you know, push jab. And he was, it seemed like everything he touched him with hurt him. Like he, he just, he must have just, very legit power. It's like GSP. He used that jab like a right hand. It was like pow and stop everybody in their tracks. Yeah, GSP training with uh, Freddie Roach and coming back with that very good jab was. Uh, you can make yeah. an argument that kind of changed MMA itself. It definitely helped him. I mean, it set up his takedowns perfectly. Now, can you guys see that any better? I mean, I don't yes. know. Yeah, that I can okay. see better. Okay. 
So it may just have to do it that way. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, if, if I scroll down here, you can see he's got some statistics here. Uh, he's landing about two-thirds of his takedowns. And actually, that's not – that would be incorrect. That's interesting. They're showing his takedown accuracy at 67%, but if you do the math, it's like 45%. Yeah, what – was it four out of nine, 44? Yeah. Yeah. So huh. not not quite accurate. <laughs> um, takedown – they're showing takedown defense is 100%, but I'd like to see the number of takedowns attempted versus successful. Although I think if it's 100%, you should be able to get that right. Yeah, I mean, Burns definitely tried multiple, like, legit takedown attempts against him, and uh, he showed a very high-level, um, like, wrestling defense on that. Nate Diaz doesn't have any takedowns. Like, he's got good jiu-jitsu, but, like, no, like, just plain wrestling. So I, I, I don't think that there's any danger of that whatsoever. I don't either. I don't think he'll try to do anything at all. So he knocked out Mearshart. Submitted Jing Lang and obviously unanimous decision over Gilbert Burns, who is definitely a top five fighter skill wise. So this will be interesting, but I agree. I don't, I, I'm actually not super excited for the fight. I'm actually like honestly like worried for Nate Diaz. Like, I think this fight is, it is too far out of his level. As it sits right now, and it's almost kind of like a mean way to to send him off after his contract's <laughs> over. You know, like yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll say I am excited though because it's exciting to see Nate Diaz pumped up for a fight and interested in actually fighting somebody. I yeah. actually, yeah, true, but I, yeah, I don't know. But I'm, like I'm, I said, wondering... I, I'm with you. I think it. It seems like it's going to be pretty one-sided. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to that card because there's some other fights that I'm actually super excited about. Let me ask uh, Lane because I'm curious what his thoughts are. Do you uh, Have you been following Rachmanov, Shavkat Rachmanov? Uh, just a little bit. I mean, I know he's um, you know, he's kind of the, you know, sort of in line to be the next thing. Um, and I, I, I want to say he was just trying to get a fight with Wonder Boy here. Yeah, he um, called out Wonder Boy when yeah. he beat uh, when he won his last fight. Yeah, a good wrestling based guy. Um, you know, so um, I like a lot of fighters from that general, like, you know, Central Asia area because like the wrestling, the level of wrestling is so high with those guys. And I just, I appreciate like people who wrestle in fighting, but like in a smart way, like the guy, like, you know, like you watch like the Khabibs and you watch the Islam, like they take guys down, they spend time getting good position. They don't rush to things and immediately give position back up and just really dedicate time to like really getting set. And then just, you know, then start passing guard, then start, you know, striking and, and things like that. Whereas like one, one of the things that sucks so much about like being a jujitsu guy or wrestler guy and watching fights is like how many times a guy kind of gets a guy down on like his knees and just immediately jumps, goes for the back and then nothing happens, you know, kind of loses position to get back up. Or the second he sort of passes guard, he tries to that white belt 
push your leg across, go to mount, immediately put back in guard, rolled right out. And it's just like, you know, just like, man, like you're, it's a lot of work to get somebody to the ground and like, you are wasting it, buddy. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that reminds me of Rockhold, right? He got, uh, he got that fight to a gr- the ground. I think twice it, it happened and lost the position really quickly by trying to move quickly and not control it. Rockhold has some legit grappling um, chops. They're very good. Yeah. He's not known as a wrestler kind of guy. And that's what I think you've seen like professional mixed martial arts shift to in the last couple years is, you know, is it's more of the, you know, kind of the, you know, people keep calling it the Dagestani style just because of a couple of those guys coming, but like the guys who are like incredibly skilled grapplers, but they keep a very wrestling first approach, like stay on top, be heavy, break the guy down, work on just keeping the guy down for a long amount of time first and then positional advancement second. Whereas I think one thing that like jujitsu guys get in troubles, it's like, they're just immediately like, you know, a lot of them just immediately try to jump on the back, try to jump position this or that, and then lose all of it. Yeah, I agree with that. That is now before we get into this, there's a couple fights on this card that I'm excited about the, the Li Jing Ling and Tony Ferguson excites me, but they're technically different weight classes. Yeah. I was curious what they're fighting at. They're fighting at welterweight, but here's, here's something that I've always felt. And, and Joel and I have talked about this before when we were at work, I feel like they need to change the weight classes. I feel that all of MMA would do better if you had a 165, a 175, 85, 95, 205, then like an intermediate heavyweight, which would be like a 225 max, and then you're 265. Now, Lane, what are your thoughts on changing the weight classes? And the reason I say that is like this fight, even Khabib, they could fight at 165, you don't have that huge 15 pound weight difference between um, what is that lightweight and then welterweight and welterweight and middleweight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's potential positives and, and distinct negatives with like both things you have. So, I mean, the positive would be there's always guys who are going to be dudes who just don't really have a weight class that they fit well into, you know, like a guy who is definitely too small to be, a welterweight, but you know, the cut to 55 is too much for him. So you're like, Hey, you make a 165. Um, you know, but the problem is you don't have enough fighters to have that many really well stocked weight classes. You see that like women's MMA, for example, like women's, women's MMA has half as many weight classes and most of their weight classes, nobody watches because there's just no talent in them. And it's not, I'm not being like derisive towards Women, it's no. just, it, it hasn't advanced to that point, you know. Um, and so, but you see that also, like, you know, with men's weight classes, there's a lot of, like, ebb and flow, you know, where, like, certain weight classes, like, like 155 is ultra competitive now. Um, 170, the top three or four guys are fantastic, big drop-off. You see the same thing with heavyweights, right? Like, a couple, like, big-name guys, and then then who after that, you know? So it's like... Mm-hmm. If you if you added like a two thirty weight class or something like that, it's like you. I mean, you would definitely have people that kind of fit into that. But then the problem is, is they would be pulling people away from the other weight classes that are already not well stocked. And you see this in wrestling, 
um, is the majority of your athletes exist um, like under 170 pounds, um, that, like just in greatest numbers. And so, you know, we're always adding weight classes for like the bigger guys, you know, whereas technically speaking, there's more athletes at lighter weights. But then the other side is then you end up like where boxing is. Where boxing, there's a new weight class like every two pounds, you yeah, know, in I some of like those that. weight classes, you know. And it's like, yeah, so you don't want a guy to be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a nine-division world champion from 132 all the way up to 141 and a half pounds. There's nine, you know, it's just like, it, you know, because then it loses its, you know, it loses its luster on that as well. So it's, it's a... Um, I'm kind of answering your question without answering your question. Almost, you know, it's, I know. it's like I could, I could see, you know, potentially some of it, but I don't know the best way to do it. In, in my head, I'm kind of like, okay, if you're going to add a, if you're going to add something that's kind of in the middle there, you know, I don't think a 155, a 165, and a 170 makes sense. So it's like, okay, if you went 75, you know, and it's like. I mean, there, there's a there's a decent case, I think, for some of that. But the, the problem is, yeah, you got to be careful because it's like, then you're just, you know, one, you're going to thin out weight classes that already might be thin on, you know, talent. And, you know, especially when you're talking about like promotion, like, you know, mark, like guys who are marketable. And then, and then you also don't want a guy to be like, oh, hey, there's, you know, I could be a champion in four different weight classes, but not really actually have to change my weight because they're all so close, you know. And mm -hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, wrestling does have more. I wrestled, I haven't wrestled since high school, but, you know, once we got to 145, it was like 145, 55, 67, or 65, 75. So it kind of went up like that. And, and the reason I mention the different weight classes is you do have people that are in between. Now you would suck some out of like middleweight to 175 because Whitaker struggled at 170, but I bet he can make 175. Gastelum is one of those guys who notoriously was trying to fight in welterweight, but could not make the 170 pound weight limit. But I bet with work, he could do the 175 religiously. I also look at someone like Rockhold, who in my opinion is too small for 205, but struggled making weight at 185. There's your 95 guys there. And there's a couple other ones. I don't remember who right off the top of my head, but I feel like it would make things a little bit more competitive between the one four with the 155 and the 205 would really kind of cinch things up right in that area and give guys an option where they don't fit into a particular weight class. No, and I don't think that you're necessarily like, and this is one of those, I, I don't like, there's not like wrong and right. There's just two distinct problems because to use that example, it's like, okay, like if you have like, if you have like a rock hole, then you have um, like a UL Romero, and stuff like, like guys who like struggled to make 185. It's like, okay, cool. You put them in 195, but now it's like, now where you had a pretty filled out 185, a pretty filled out 205. Now you have a couple dudes in 95, but now you lose them in the other weight classes, you know? And so it's like, the problem with that is it's, you know, especially if the UFC, it's like, you have to get people excited to like, to want to watch fights 
you know, so it's like, okay, if you, if you thin out the ranks in any weight class too much, people already like, you know, most people are normals. They don't follow that much, you know, so you have to just, you have to make it idiot proof for them to be like, Hey, this is Israel Adesanya. He got knocked out by this guy uh, named Alex Pereira. They're going to fight. And you're like, Oh, cool. You know, but Alex Pereira is enormous, you know? So you're like, okay, well, Pereira would be more comfortable at 195. It's all right, cool. So now we've got Robert Whitaker, who's already lost twice to Adesanya. Cannoneer lost to him. Vittori, oh, Brunson, yep. Paulo Costa lost to him. You're like, damn it, okay. Who the hell do we have him fight that's, <laughs> you know, that's interesting? So it's kind of like, you know, so you, you kind of lose, you lose some of that marketing stuff. And it's, yeah, I don't know. There's not a, well, there's not a perfect answer to it for sure. And, but there, I'm trying to remember who it was, um, but there's been in the, light heavyweight championship fights recently there's been a lot of guys who weighed in at like 202 203 during the official weigh-in and you know they're not cutting so much that they're three pounds below the weight limit but those guys too now i'm wondering okay you know you could have those guys that would be able to make it down to 195 so i i again i agree with you there's really no right or wrong i just find it intriguing plus the other thing is that i I look at is there's plenty of ufc pay-per-views where you might have one title fight and in this case i don't even two yeah ufc 280 it's diaz and chemeyev that's your main event Mm -hmm. so with the extra the two extra weight classes and there may be three, you've got more titles to give more title fights in the pay-per-view. I'd rather, if I'm going to, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if I'm going to pay for a pay-per-view, I'd rather there be at least a title fight to go with that. You can still make the Chimeyev Diaz fight a five round co-main event type of a thing. Make that your warm up. (laughs) No, and I, I can see that. I think the problem that you have is it's not necessarily like is there a title fight or not, but it's who's fighting for the title fight. You know, so it's like Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, like that. That generates like huge buzz because you know of all the all the shit talk and all that that kind of stuff. But it's like you know Glover versus Yuri. Like who is excited about that aside from like serious mixed martial arts fans? You know, like both like two dudes who are just fantastic guy you know and so it's like your your jimmies and joes you know matter when it comes to that whereas it's like you know because the flip side is you look at like women's mma you know you could put a women's mma title fight in every single ufc and not get anyone to care about it unless it has amanda nunez valentina shevchenko or cyborg in it you know it's like like people just you know it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong it's just like you know people don't care about it that much um you know, and I think so. You just, you know, if you were going to add weight classes, I just think you got to be careful to make sure that you don't, that you don't thin stuff out and just, uh, cause they, you know, cause they did that. Which women's weight class was it that they, they started and then got rid of it? Um, oh, they, the 145. Done, yeah. Yeah. yeah cause, um, you know, cause you just don't have enough participation at, uh, yeah. at stuff like that. And there are other organizations that have more weight classes, like, you know, um, I think Bellator and uh, one 
have more weight classes in total. Um, you know, but that is technically a lower level of competition. So it kind of makes sense, you know? Right. I can think of an example to support what you're saying. I'm going to be happy either way, no matter what they do with the weight classes, um, if it stays the same or if they make, made changes. But I remember when they introduced in men's 145, 135 and 125, I really didn't care. I didn't know anybody and the, the people it took some people away from 155 and it, it was a while before I started caring about any of those weight classes. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it gave guys like a, like a Frankie Edgar who was like way too small to be 155, yeah. but otherwise a fantastic fighter gave him a place to go. Um, but it took a while to build that up. And then like UFC acquired the WEC at that time and the WEC had those weight classes. So they kind of, they're basically okay. able to just buy like those pre-established people you know, there, yeah. whereas like you, you kind of see that with like the women's stuff is like when they add a weight class, it's like, okay, well now you got to fill it with people to fight, you know, and, and sometimes that just, you know, that takes some time and sometimes it doesn't really, doesn't work out for, you know, for them on that. Cause it's like, you know, cause even like with women, it's like, you look at um, like, uh, like Abu Dhabi, you know, uh, combat championships coming up for, you know, submission wrestling here in like two weeks. It's like men have the, what do they have? Like under, they have like 66, 77, 88, 99, and over 99 weight class. And women have like under 60, over 60. That's it. Like, um, because there's not enough, there's not enough women at a decent enough level to, uh, um, to warrant having, you know, and they have fewer women. So the men are all, all the weight classes are 16, um, 16 dudes. You have to either win a trials. Um, so there's like, you know, set trials there's like two in america there's one in europe there's one in brazil stuff like that or be an invite and it's strictly 16 people per weight class whereas women it's eight so they have only two weight classes and it's eight because you just you just don't have the people to uh you just don't have the people to uh to fill it out competition yeah 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 i get that but i i i think too i mean you could say that almost about any women's sports things and i mean wnba whatever the case is you know they don't have the same number of people. It's not necessarily in that case. I don't find that as exciting as men's basketball, but you know, we can go back to Dana saying we'll never have women's weight classes in the UFC. Now there's three and they have a pretty good draw. So we could probably debate it all day back and forth, but I agree with you that, you know, there's pluses and minus on both sides and will we ever see it? Probably not. I will say what you mentioned about the WEC coming in is interesting. Maybe more weight classes would draw more talent from other organizations. Maybe you'd see some people. I know there's some really good people in other organizations that I don't really follow, and maybe they could find a place and fill out some of those spots. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I think what you've kind of seen, or at least what it appears to me, is the UFC has kind of – um, they've let the very small classes for women and men sort of get developed or utilized by other people. And they, I mean, and obviously they have down to like 125 now for Bantam weight, you know, but, um, but, uh, and, and then the other side of that too is like, it makes sense for something like one championship, which is based out of like Singapore or whatever, to have a very high emphasis on that because you're just going to deal with a lot more people who are of that relative size, you know, um, just given yeah, the absolutely. relative size of, 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 you know, Asians. Um, cause that was always a, a thing that they talked about when they started kind of having 
crossover fights between like um, like the Muay Thai guys. They started fighting Westerners and things like that. Was there was um, like um, you know uh, Sangrit, like Chang Peck, like one of those guys who was like a famous dude who kind of fought like everybody. He was like a seventy, he was like a seventy kilo Thai, which isn't particularly big, but in Thailand, like that's enormous. So he kind of like didn't really have many people to fight over there, you know, as like a high level pro. So he started taking on, um, you know, like Rick Rufus and like fighting like Western guys and doing like the the crossover kickboxing fights and stuff because like as a 70 kilo tie like sorry we don't we don't have a weight class for you you're too big you know but um you know so it kind of makes sense to me that um you could develop that stuff with the uh you know with one championship and stuff like that and um and they've kind of created it where they you know now between the, those organizations they they've kind of traded people you know sort of back and forth you know it was kind of the famous like you know they traded demetrius johnson for ben Askren kind of thing and Mm-hmm. You know, so in in some ways, it's kind of, I, I think it's kind of nice because if that's something they want to specialize in and be good at, like cool. And then if UFC kind of does its thing, versus like you you you'd be definitely taking a risk if you're like, hey, we're gonna buy this out, and also we don't really know how to deal with this, or it's like, or you end up like boxing fights where like, you know, you have like a boxing pay per view. There's one fight on there that people want to see, but there's right. 30, 30 fights. You know, so it's like you got to be careful having like too big of a roster, too many weight classes, and then being like, Hey man, we can offer like a ton more fights, but it's like, okay, like I already have to start watching prelims at like seven and I don't yeah. finish my, the main event until like 1130. It's like, now you're like, Hey, prelims started at 11 o'clock in the morning. And you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you can always put it on in the background. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the news, you know, it's just background noise. All right. So this is, one of the fights this weekend I'm super excited about, Li Jingling and Tony Ferguson. I think this is going to be a banger. Yeah, I think Tony looked great in his last fight till Chandler caught him with that kick. It's all about the kicks lately. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a an excellent fight, um, which is catch weight. Now, the other one is, I don't know who Daniel Rodriguez is, but Kevin Holland... I feel like he's been under uh, performing. At least, you know, he, he was on that rise and then he, he hasn't really um, performed to expectations. But this is also a catch weight. Um, I'm going to have to see what, see if we can figure out what weight class they're going to be. Are they doing like welterweight? Yeah, I think they're going to do welter. It shows 170 and 171 but I don't know what they're actually going to fight at. Because they're both, uh, right now, I think they both fight at 170. So it's interesting that they're doing a catchweight. Maybe it was late notice or something like that. Maybe it got put together late. Oh, Uh, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, we'd give you a catchweight if you couldn't make weight or something. Right. Yeah, 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 that might be. And I thought, and then this one, Johnny Walker and Eon Kudalaba. I think I I do enjoy watching Johnny Walker fight. It's just I'm wondering if his shoulder can stay in place long enough for the fight to finish. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a guy who is like on a meteoric rise and then Mm -hmm. got just absolutely mauled and has now just the subject of the best highlight reel knockouts on the wrong side 
<laughs> lately. <so>. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and Young Kudalaba is a very he's very like good. So that but Walker is he's enormous. Like so, I, I guess it depends on what part of him shows up. I guess. Yeah, I was gonna say there's nowhere really for him to go either. Because sometimes you see smaller guys they get knocked out a lot and they go up a weight class and maybe not being dehydrated and stuff makes them be able to take a shot a little better. But Johnny Walker would be moving up to heavyweight where people hit even harder. So it's not really anywhere right. for him to go. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely not going down. <laughs> now you guys had mentioned, um, or we had chatted about this earlier. Let me stop that for a second. Actually, yeah. So let's hopefully you guys can see this. I'll make it bigger. So come on now, get bigger. While you're getting that together, Daniel Rodriguez beat Kevin Lee. Oh, back in 2021. Um, so just honest, last I don't year. Really remember that fight, but. He must Not be good either. if he beat Kevin Lee. All right. Can you talk Rodriguez. about a guy who can get beat by anybody or beat like the absolute best in the weight class on depending on what fight it is. Like that is that is a frustrating dude to want to be a fan of. Yeah. Because it's like because you've seen him be like just an absolute like like force, and then you've seen him go and just get wrecked by some up and comer and you're like what yeah exactly and you think maybe it's his coaching situation because i guess his head coach died a couple years ago right so he was looking for a new gym and it seemed like mm. maybe he had found that with uh upward gsp trains you and you had a high expectations after he went and started training there and and those fights didn't end up well for him either yeah, fighting is such a weird thing, you know. It's just like so much goes into it. I mean, it's one, the mental component is enormous and all the training and stuff, but it's also like you're still basically playing a game where if you get touched at the wrong time, you lose. Mm. And it's just like and that's what makes it exciting, but that's what a crappy way to uh to try to make <laughs> a living, you know, especially like yeah. Yeah. stuff, you know. I mean, it really is. But that and like Another thing that I, I think a lot of people don't have a good respect for that don't train some sort of com combat sport is like just how like beat up and wrecked dudes are. Like nobody comes out of the fight like good. Like they all have a broken hand or a broken toe or their foot's messed up or, you know, like like nose is like broke or something. Like, like you are always, there's always something wrong with you. Same thing coming out of camp, you know? So it's like, you kind of never know is like, like a dude who just might be just like a little bit banged up at everything. And you're like, oh, he, looks like crap in this fight and it's like dude like fight training is just terrible you know it, it really is like it's just like and and there's all those like additional things that you just kind of don't know as a fan yeah and look paulo costa won that fight against rockhold he's got a broken hand yep yeah so now even though he you know he won the fight he's still like you said he's beat up and now he's got to take more time off so and that's the norm yeah. You know, like if you, you can find some of the list, you know, they'll, they'll come out with like the suspensions after fights, you know, and most everybody has mm -hmm. like some amount of suspension is for safety. But, uh, but yeah, like everybody comes out of there messed up 
in some way, you know, and it's easy because like you'll forget about a guy. You're like, oh, you know, I think I watched him fight like earlier this year. It's like, yep, it was nine months ago and he had six months where his knee was, you know, jacked up because of this or that, you know, and so it's like, and some some dudes just like you reach a point where you're just like not, not the same anymore, you know? Yeah. But here's here's what we were talking about earlier, talking about fighters that were huge or are huge. There's Dominic Reyes on the left and Alex Pereira on the left, right. I, I just saw that picture today too. He is he gigantic. is huge. So yes. he's got to get down to 185 because you can't even be 185 and a half for a championship fight. He's got to drop 20 pounds. I say 20 because this was oh, where to go. This is the other picture that came out with it. Now, this is from oh, Alex Pereira himself. So he posted these. Now, and I doubt Dominic Reyes walks around at 205. So 226 wow. is what he's showing in that picture. He's got to drop 40 pounds. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty normal for a 185 pounder. Like that's, yeah. I mean, I've trained with some guys who are, you know, professional, like UFC level, um, you know, guys who fought 185, 205, and they're dudes who, yeah, walk around 225, 230. Like pretty, like one, they count on, do a sodium cut and a water cut, and that's 15, 20 pounds. And then you just got to lose, you know, 15, 20 pounds, you know, in the course of like fight camp. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like, pleasant or anything like that but it's like <laughs> yeah. you definitely like being around combat sports i don't look at that and like get freaked out i'm like yep, that just that seems like 185 what a 185 pounder does you know he just needs to be down under the the few of them that i've i've known or talked specifically about their weight cut most of them just want to be like under 205 or at 200 by fight week because then they'll just plan on making a, a sodium cut and a water cut so there was a uh nutritionist who was on the Joe Rogan podcast. I forget which one it was, um, but he was talking about how Yoel, Yoel Romero came to him three weeks before a fight and he was 242 and I got down <laughs> to 185. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I love Yoel it. Romero. He he's, like, <laughs> he's, like my, he's like one of my favorite guys because he is the freakiest human I have ever laid eyes on. Like He has looked like that for like 30 years, you know, being a Cuban, like, yeah. you know, world, world-class, like world-level Olympic level wrestler. He's just like a f absolute, like just carved out of granite. <laughs> There's no part of me that's surprised. Like, you know, it's like, you see him, like when he's on Joe Rogan podcast that one time, like wearing like normal clothes, like that guy is enormous, Yeah, you know? And like, that's, that's funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, genetically he's not normal. Nope, they made that dude in a lab. <laughs> yeah, they did. Can you guys see that picture? Oh, yeah. Is that something that's happening? Yes. 2023. Wow. Uh, apparently. Max. <laughs> yep. How do you It'll think It'll be that very interesting. Out? That's a, you know what? I, I think I would go with Triple C. I yeah, think I think had, that'd have to be the same, yeah. He's had less battle damage, you know, fewer fights. His wrestling is almost unequaled based on his background. And he's got power, and he's learned how to be a striker. So, And I, I think Max Holloway's been in so many wars. He's starting to get to that point where 
you know, you touch him enough times in a fight, he's going to go down. He's It's just one of those things. Yeah, I wonder what weight they're fighting at. If they're fighting at 145, do you think that's like a lead-in to him possibly fighting for 145? Because that's an interesting matchup. Yeah, I, I, I do, actually. So, yeah, I'm wondering if he's going to end up being a three-division champion. That's why he's triple C, man. <laughs> so, not not to be confused with Triple H. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the other kind of wrestling. <laughs> so yeah, so that, how, that how, do you, how do you think he stacks up against Volkanovski? Oh man, that would be uh, very interesting. Um, he's got better wrestling. I got to get. I, I mean, I have to give him the wrestling edge. Uh, striking, I don't know. It could be almost even. So you could almost give the edge to Cejudo. What do you think, Lane? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, Volkanovski, his last fight against Max, he looked absolutely flawless. Um, he did. Striking-wise. Cejudo, I mean, granted, now Cejudo hasn't fought in a while, too, so that's something to keep mm-hmm. in mind. Um, you know, but he, he kind of switched to a kind of a karate-based stance there like a couple years back, a few years back. It kind of changed everything about how his striking looked because he's got a lot better like movement in and out. Um, you know, so I'd be curious, you know, because one thing that Volkanovsky doesn't have to, you know, hasn't had to deal with much in any recent fights is, you know, someone who, you know, does do a wrestling heavy game on him. And um, should be curious if, if Cejudo did put that kind of pressure. And I'm one of those, like, I think what gets kind of lost on it sometimes, it's not even that he needs to plant him on the, on the mat and rough him up down there, but it's like, make a dude make a dude have to wrestle with you in the clinch you know wear on him stuff like that but it's like you know when there's no threat of a takedown a guy's able to really dig in you know sit down on his strikes and not have to worry about stuff where it's like you got to stay awfully light on your toes when a guy is trying to take you down and that takes away you know a fair amount of your your good offense you know and and, and changes your stance and kind of approach to it as well so no i would I mean i would be excited to see that one i i couldn't even I couldn't make a prediction at this point. I mean, it'd be hard to right. It'd be hard to bet against Volkanovski in that weight class because I mean, Cejudo would be a little small coming in, but he's it's obviously a fantastic, you know, fighter, fantastic athlete. So who knows? Maybe right. you know something about this lane because you. It seems like you follow a lot of stuff. I wonder what it is about Henry Cejudo that's been attracting so many people to his camp when they're training for a title fight. Have you noticed that? I think he's had like four or five fighters come through his camp when they were preparing for a title fight recently yeah i guess i don't know anything specific um i mean so a very good wrestler and he's a good wrestling coach i've just said like a knowledgeable person so i see some of his videos and stuff that he puts out um you know with that so i think that probably like plays into it as well um you know there and especially like you know he's a very high level little dude wrestler so you see people like women, you know, like dudes and, and, and chicks of like comparable size that come in. Cause I think, you know, that kind of makes sense. I mean, he's, he's the only Olympic gold medalist to fight in the UFC. Um, you know, I, I actually personally don't think he's the most credentialed international wrestler, but, uh, you know, but yeah, like a guy who's just like, he's very, very fantastic at, you know, coaching that and, and he breaks things down very well. Like when I've seen videos of him teaching stuff, like just a very good job of like of, of teaching it and taking people through it. And you, okay. you can't overstate that. So I don't know if that's it or not, but. 
Oh, I'm curious to get your opinion on this too. Um, Leon Edwards said that he had come to America to train at AKA, I think, um, to step up his wrestling after he lost to Usman the first time. Um, and then he said he felt like he wasn't learning. So he went back to the UK and continued whatever his old training program was. But his wrestling does look like it's gotten a lot better. Oh, what, did, what did you think of his wrestling? Especially like taking stop downs. Well, I guess it didn't look like that in the second, third, and fourth round. But initially. Yeah. I mean, round, I mean, definitely caught him off guard, you know, kind of hit him with that, uh, you know, kind of that outside trip and, uh, and put him down. So, no. I, I think it's one of those two where it's like, you know, wrestling people who that you're supposed to just manhandle in one aspect of things can definitely throw you off because you'll kind of forget that they can attack you with that too sometimes, I think. So uh, I kind of think that played into it. Uh, but yeah, it's curious. I mean, I guess I hadn't seen him say that thing about, you know, AKA. And um, the one thing I wonder from seeing AKA training videos is they kind of have like the whole crew of Dagestanis and stuff there but at one i don't know how often those guys are there because i know a lot of them like they still like live overseas so like they do most of their training camp is like still in dagestan or or, or wherever um and so they kind of come like intermittently um for stuff but it also like i've heard daniel cormier talk about like just how like tight of a group that whole group of them are so i kind of wonder if it's one of those things if you come in from the outside if it's hard to sort of get like welcome into the circle. Like I have, I have nothing to base that on other than just, sure, you know, yeah. Other than just that stuff. But I, I wonder if that, you know, could play into it too. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we, we did notice uh, Joel and I were talking about how the, all of the Stannies seem to be congregating at AKA training together. So. Yeah. And, and it makes sense. You know, like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's basically how like all immigrant communities work wherever they go. It's like, you know, Pacific Islanders all congregate in like Washington, Oregon, California. You know, it's like, you look at like the 18th century, it's like, you know, the Italians, the Irish or whatever, they all end up in like certain places, you know, the Chinese all ended up in San Francisco. It's like, you know, they, there's reasons they end up somewhere and then they basically like it, invite their friends, invite their families. You know, it seems that the Bay Area and AKA the, the 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 Dagestani guys and 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 those dudes like it there, so they bring their bring their crew in and yeah, yeah, it makes sense. All right, so you guys see that one? Oh, the Kayla Harrison one. In, uh, yeah, Seaboard? yeah, yeah. Did you hear about that? I did not know, but I, I like Michaela Harris. I haven't watched a ton of her fights recently. Um, so the like uh, owner of PFL has offered each of them a million dollars and a two million dollar fight bonus to the winner for those two to fight. Oh, nice! That is a fight I would definitely watch, and I give the edge to Kayla Harrison. Actually, I think yeah, with, with her, my limited knowledge, I think. I think the same. I'm interested in what Lane thinks about that. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with her or with, you know, with Cyborg like recently. And you always kind of wonder with someone like Cyborg who's been around for like ever, you know, it's just like, it seems like people like that are always either incredibly dangerous or you just don't know what you're going to get. Because I think some of it's like damage, maybe it's like motivation levels and stuff too. So it's, it's hard for me to bet against Cyborg because like, 
a cyborg who comes in and does cyborg things is hard to handle, but, uh, you know, she's definitely on the, uh, she's on the, the downside of the slope as far as that stuff goes. And, you know, Kayla Harrison's on the upside of the slope. So I'll right. be, uh, be curious to see. I also imagine what? cyborg is used to being the bigger fighter. And I think Kayla Harrison wrestled at, at 170 at some point. She's a, yeah, she's a right. competed in judo. Yeah. Yeah. It was judo. Uh, but I want to say she was, yeah, Olympic and world champion judoka was Kayla okay. Harrison. So, and I, I know it's probably hard for you guys to see there, but she is, she's a big girl. And I don't mean fat. I mean, she, I, I think if you put her beside Cyborg, she might be as big or bigger than Cyborg. And going back to our conversations earlier, she hasn't been in those battles like cyborg has so she doesn't have that uh that wear and tear of being punched in the face mm -hmm. yeah and it's definitely hard to you know because that has positives and negatives with it too you know it's like has she really been tested yet so that could be a negative but then it's also like True. okay you know, she's also 15 not, and 0 yeah not having an additional 10 years of fight related injuries and stuff like that you know because i mean not only in the fight but like that just affects like how you're able to go through training camp and and all those sort of things and you, you hear that all the time with people like oh you know they have trouble cutting weight because they they rolled an ankle three weeks out so they couldn't do cardio so like you know like that's that stuff's fairly common you know and, and so right. yeah be uh be be a good one to uh to keep track of she has yeah, been I mean, super she's... active which is probably in her favor like she fought four times in 2021 and she's already fought three, three times. times this year. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah. And 15 and Oh, she's only had one, two, three, three decisions. So she's 12 stoppages out of 15 fights. So she's 80% stop rate. The other thing too, I, is I can, I don't recognize anybody she's fought. I, I don't, I don't either <laughs> that goes, but I don't follow PFL either. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's no. a lot of, there's a lot of people on cyborgs list that I'm like, who are these people? Or they were just somebody that, you know, was in for a fleeting moment and back out of MMA. So, well, and that's, I mean, that's all combat sports, but like women's combat sports in particular is like the discrepancy yeah. between the top and the bottom. And so it's like, you see a lot of those where it's like, you know, you see that all the time with like Amanda Nunes and Cyborg and Valentina. It's like they just there is nobody else to put in there with them unless you just want to have Valentina fight Amanda Nunes twice a year, every year, which I think would be the most reasonable thing to do for fans. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, it's like every time they come up with like a new Valentina fight, I'm like, damn it. Like, I feel sorry for whatever this next chick is, but there's just nobody else to put in there to give her like, you know, a good challenge. But. But uh, so Kayla Harrison uh, competed at 172 pounds. So you were right there, Joel. She won the 2010 World Judo Championships, gold medals at the 12 and 16 Olympics, and gold at the 11 and 15 Pan American Games. So she's got five gold medals in her career from judo at 172. So she's probably cutting a little bit of weight to get to 155. 
Yeah, probably. That seems that seems like a fairly fairly normal amount of weight to cut there. I'm trying to see if I can find a, a good image to share of just how big she is. She is a big girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. That's a pretty good one. Uh, of course, there's going to be an error. <laughs> you go to share it, and there's an error. Uh, can't go there. All right. Let's see if I can... All right, um, crop this down so we're not blocking our faces. There we go. There you go. It's, it's still kind of hard to see, but that's a guy behind her, but she's a big girl. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think size-wise she can compete with Cyborg. Nunez did. Um, Strength-wise, I'm sure she can. Mm-hmm. And And... Obviously, she's got submissions and throws, and so it'd be interesting. She does have some wins by TKO as well, by strikes. Yeah, I don't think the UFC would create a division for 155, but if she could get down to 145, that would be great. I'd love to see her compete against some of the people in the UFC. I would probably subscribe for a month to PFL to watch that fight. Right. Well, and that's like, you know, with, with women, you have the exact opposite problem of like men's weight classes. It's just like, where do you make heavyweight and where do you cut it off? Because it's like, <laughs> there's just not enough women over like 160 pounds. But then it's like, you end up like in jujitsu, like you have Gabby Garcia, who's like 225 pounds, you know, <laughs> but it's like, uh, I think ultra heavyweight. So like where the unlimited weight class starts for women in jujitsu is 160 pounds. So it's like, you go from one one sixties to cut off. And so it's like, Oh, and like Gabby weighs like what I weigh, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> those fights are interesting yeah. though, to see like the big disparity. Like, uh, I can't remember who it was that beat her. Um, but that, like, that was super exciting to watch and see somebody beat someone oh Liz Clay and yeah I'm trying to think of who else beat Gabby Liz Clay is the last one that comes to mind but yeah what are you guys seeing on your screen right now Mm, I see your logo yeah yeah I don't know what's going on it's not um I don't know why it's not showing uh there we go. I don't know why it was showing. That's really weird. All right. So here's one more I wanted to chat about. Mohamed Usman. Either one of you see his, um, what was it? Um, oh, shoot. What's the competition? The uh, Ultimate Fighter finale. Yeah. I just That's the only one I've seen of him fight, though, so. Yeah, what I do you think? I th- didn't see that. I saw him oh. in his recent UFC fight. Right? Isn't I he, think uh... that. Yeah, and that's I... what that was the the finale yeah, there. That oh, was that the was finale. Okay. Right. Yeah, that was the finale. So uh, he looked thought... kind of sloppy, but he he, he looked very stiff, but with power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like rock'em sock'em robots, stiff. Yeah. I feel like you you get some he he gets a little more fluidity to him. He could be somebody. 
yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to see. I don't, I don't honestly know much about him, so I don't have a lot of a lot I can talk about. So, right. I, I feel like just the fact that his brother was, uh, or yeah, was the welterweight champ that he's got a little bit of a leg up at least in training that he can, he's got somebody he can train with and learn some stuff from. So I feel that will help him, but he's got a way. It's definitely a marketable thing as well. For sure. Yeah. If you're on the UFC standpoint, you definitely feel like that's an easy sell. Yeah. I'm curious where he trains too. I wonder if he trains down in Florida or if he trains with Usman um, up wherever Trevor Whitman is. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Either. Trevor Whitman, though, that, that's an interesting. Like, he's an amazing coach, but all his big fighters have lost their title fights recently. Right, Usman, Rose, Gaethje on that same card with Rose, I think. Yep. Huh. Um, okay. I didn't realize they were all amazing coach. Oh, that's right. We did talk about that, didn't we, Joel? Yeah, at, uh, at some point, way in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. goes that way sometimes, though. You know, yeah. <laughs> two dudes walk in and only one guy walks out as the winner. So it's you're always playing the sport with bad odds. Yeah. And just like a yep. couple little things here and there, and all three of those people won their fights. Yep. Yep. Maybe Rose actually fighting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, her corner screwed her. Like the fact that they didn't know that she was definitely losing the fight as far as decision goes. And so they didn't tell her, hey, sell out yeah. in this last round. for Like, that's on them. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, they, they should have given her more of a sense of urgency. I like Rose, so I was hoping she'd win, but it's all I also good. thought it was going to be, like, a great fight, and then it was, it was that. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, I like Rose, but the way she was fighting, I was hoping that she lost because I was like, I don't want this to be rewarded. You know, like, you you're sure? not – you're not trying yeah. to in any way like win this competition. So, yeah, I was I was really hoping that she would not get the decision because I didn't want her to be rewarded for that and then like have it somehow like mess up the division, you know. Uh, right. Yeah, she definitely you know, did. As far as like who's going to be next for whatever, you know, because it's like because if she wins that and then she's the I don't know the heir apparent again for the weight class, then it's like okay then you're, you're kind of stuck in that endless loop of, you know, just having these two people or these three people to fight over and over. Yeah. I think there was speculation that I think maybe her and Pat Barry were getting married the next month or something like that. And I don't recall any time I've ever seen her fight like that in a, in a previous fight. So I'm hoping it was a one-time thing and she comes back and does well and puts on a performance. Yeah, it was definitely weird, but it was, yeah, I don't know. It was like, I, I'm trying to just remember watching it because it's been a while now, but I remember watching it. And I was like, what, what are you like? What, this is, this is not enjoyable. Yeah. There, I, there might've been a round where there wasn't a single punch or strike thrown. That's it's probably an possible. exaggeration. Yeah. But I think it's possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was uh, definitely odd scroll. I don't think Rose has, I mean, I don't think um, Carla has anything coming up either. So they fought in May. She's probably due for a fight later this year. Yeah, I thought she had a fight lined up. Uh, yeah, November 12th, she's fighting Whaley's Zang. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. 
That'll be an exciting fight. It, there it definitely it is. won't be the last one. That's right. No. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a – she's an impressive fight. I'm liking the Chinese fighters. They, they yeah, I mean, there's starting to be a couple a of them come out and around in, uh, in the UFC. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, the fight coming up that I was talking about. Yeah, Li Jingling. Yep. Mm -hmm. Li Jingling, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Li Jingling against Ferguson. Another good one. Yeah, the, these guys are and women are exciting. Yeah, they don't have any. You, you would it'd think be interesting. From a numbers aspect, there'd, there'd be at least a couple good ones <laughs> coming out of that region. Right, yeah. Why? Just because they're the most populous country in the world? Uh, yeah. Correct, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have numbers on their side. But surprisingly, though, you don't see any, like, any of them coming up and dominating in the 125 or 135. I feel like you'd see more of that, possibly. Well, I don't know what they have for like development over there. Like, you know, I mean, considering it's fairly, it seems yeah. like it's fairly new as far as their, you know, stuff goes. I just don't know what they have for like long term development. And most of their other sports are like, it's all like state run. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's one of the reasons why they're so successful, you know, at the Olympic level now in the last, I don't know, like a couple decades. But, you know, they basically, kind of like the old Soviet system where it's like, you know, kids are identified as kids and, and put in like, you know, state training programs and stuff like that, you know, which is one of the reasons why like their, their weightlifting program, you know, became like one of the best or the best in the world, like, you know, kind of in the course of like, you know, five or 10 years all of a sudden. And yeah. Yeah. So maybe like in 15 or 20 years, we'll see them start dominating because right now they're picking them out of their five-year-olds and yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. And, you know, and if you don't have a long history of, like, people doing, you know, like, mixed martial arts stuff, like, you're kind of having to, like, find some people. Like, America, we tend to, you know, we have a lot of people that do an awful lot of wrestling and grappling stuff. So, it's like, then, you you know, you kind of have the influ influx of legit kickboxers. I mean, now this was decades ago for us, you know, but, like, you know, people who could kind of start to, you know, put the pieces together and, and things like that. And they don't, they don't even have a lot of professional boxers. So, the combat sports, they don't seem to be heavily into I'm not sure why but i mean she she knocked out uh yoana uh, round two mm -hmm. midway oh, through yeah. round two so it'll be uh quite interesting yeah absolutely. well guys that's what i got you guys got anything else you want to talk about or uh no i can't think of anything uh no we kind of we, we kind of covered the uh all over the spectrum on that so <laughs> yeah we did <laughs> If you decide right. to join a jujitsu gym, just let me know. I'll, I'll come join with you wherever you go. Okay. There's a lot All of right. good things in our area. Yeah, my son is actually um, getting back into jujitsu. Oh, cool. Where, where does he train? Uh, I'm going to have to ask him, um, but it's, uh, it's in, uh, I'm not going to say Fredericksburg, but it's actually not. It's South Stafford right there in the Falmouth area. Oh, okay. Okay. Right there where Route 3 crosses over, somewhere right there in that area. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name either. But so, it, it was nice to meet you, Lane. I, I, yeah, I think Lane, well. I think Lane does some BJJ as a hobby, so. <laughs> I do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there guys, we'll have BJJ to do it again. Tonight. Oh. Nice. <laughs> you going to get back on the bike first? Uh, no, I'm actually not. I'm taking this week off and then next week I leave for national pistol national. So I'm not doing any jujitsu between Saturday yeah, yeah. when I trained and after national. So okay. just so yeah, you're both going. So 
Good luck to both. Just I don't mess up a finger or something. I still have one of my fingers is dicked up from an idiot student when I taught a class in Minneapolis back in the spring, and like it is still not okay. So I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna, oh, I'm just gonna take it easy here for like a week and a half. So I feel like we just talked about being dinged up for like the last two hours. Yep. <laughs> here we go. Prime <laughs> yep. example right there. <laughs> yep. I think uh, jujitsu this year alone has given me a severe ankle sprain from a heel hook, an umbilical Ooh. hernia. Uh, probably ligament tears in my finger, severe tennis elbow, and I retore one of my meniscus in my knee. So, but not the important good meniscus. Lord. So we're good to go. So that's the one yeah, thing yeah. that worries me about it. It's not, it's not <laughs> conducive to what we do. Go get no. It, I mean, you got to be careful. The next day. Yeah, you got to be careful how you approach things, you know. But it's some level of damage. When do you actually? When are you headed to Talladega? Thursday. Really? Wow. Okay. I'm driving down Tuesday. No, I'm sorry, Wednesday. So I'll be there to be able to walk through, check in and all that on Thursday. Yeah, I'm trying to think. We couldn't get in like decent flights on Wednesday. I don't know. There was some reason we didn't go on Wednesday. I don't remember what. But yeah, so I think we get in sometime around the middle middle of the afternoon or like early afternoon but by the time i get there it'll be back middle of the afternoon on thursday but i probably don't shoot till the afternoon on friday i think super squad starts in the afternoon so I should it does time so yeah yeah it does so you're going to check in friday morning or try to get there thursday afternoon no we'll go we'll go there thursday so i'm flying out with uh i'll meet my friend tim dundry who's a minneapolis guy uh, in Atlanta, and then we'll drive to Talladega. And I think there's two other people staying with us that I don't know, but he does. He's a little bit of a social butterfly, whereas I'm whatever the opposite of a social butterfly is. Like, I, I would stay by myself <laughs> if it wasn't so much more expensive. Not because I don't like hanging out with some of those guys, but I'm just like, I'm just, I like being able to just turn the sound off and not have other people around. So, <laughs> so is, the, is the opposite of brown recluse? I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Nice yeah. to meet you, Joel. It was fun doing this. Nice to meet you as well.